Awesome. So I'm here today with Gene Hopkins, CRO of OneScreen.ai. I'm really excited to talk about first 90 days, sales and marketing alignment, and other marketing management re related topics. But first, Gene, could you give a background on, on some of your experiences? Yeah, sure, John. Thanks for having me here today. It's, yeah, thank uh, you for coming on. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, my uh, background is uh, a lot of it is in demand gen. So demand generation is a variation on a theme of let's just call it excessive cheerleading, right? And that you're trying to, your glass is always half full. You have to, as an individual, work for a company that offers a product or service that you believe in, and you're drinking their champagne. And if you don't feel like that, it's really hard to get motivated in terms of internal motivation for yourself, but motivation within the organization. And I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But I think my background in terms of generating leads and working with the sales organizations that I've had um, under my purview have been successful because they're, they're totally aligned. And by aligned, they're on the same team. Yeah. And have you always been doing inbound? I mean, I've kind of been familiar with you and a lot of your content since when you were at HubSpot, but I'm curious if your motion has always been an inbound or if it's been an inbound product led, like a mixed kind of bag. <laughs> well, back in the day, um, so 20 years ago or so, I went to work for a company that my husband was president of, and we had at the time one-year-old twin daughters. And I had a strong background in PR and he was paying $25,000 a month. Um, and this was in 1999, $25,000 a month to a PR agency that was, yeah, no kidding, in Boston, that was essentially doing 30 minutes of work per month. So I analyzed their, what they had done. I took a look at their invoice and fired them. And as a course of that, he said, well, can you do some of this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I can do some of it. But the technology was, it was secure network time protocol. So there's a household word, right? Yeah. And how many times do people really talk about secure time? Oh, let me say, not much. Yeah. But it became, it became more and more of an issue. So they were taking $25,000 a month out of this startup, <laughs> essentially, for absolutely no work. And what I started saying to myself is, you know, who's reading, who's, who's buying print, who's buying these things. So I started building a website. I built a website. I built the forms. We did, we had three divisions of this company, Symmetricon, True Time and Datum. And we consolidated all their offerings of network time servers. There's another fun conversation. If you want to talk about rubidium oscillators, I'm your gal. And <laughs> let's, let's save that for another, another episode. <laughs> and anyway, so figured out, and I had a team of three people and figured out that network time is very important. And if you're an IT manager and you find out that your, your entire network is not synced to a time, right? It screws everything up. And so what I wanted to make sure is if an IT manager uh, systems admin had a $5,000 headache, I had a $5,000 aspirin to be able to ship them. And that's how it started like 22 years ago. Okay. <laughs> and, and what were the main, so you're, you had your website set up. What were the main kind of channels of acquisition? Were you doing a lot of outbound email or were you doing? Well, it was SEO primarily because there, there wasn't really, uh, I was not spending a lot on Google AdWords. It wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of, um, because NTP, uh, network time protocol is a thing. And so search volume for NTP was something that I could optimize for. So I started building a blog. I started, I, there's actually a bunch of stuff that I did, um, built a blog, built a blog for customers. And it was, this company was part of a company called Symmetricon. And at one point, um, my family, I was shipped out to San Jose, California to work for Symmetricon Corporate to be able to create demand for all their divisions. So they had a space defense and avionics. They had a timing test and measurement. They had a telecom. They had all these um, things that were affiliated with time. So what I started doing was building individual websites, individual channels, individual email, and a lot of the sales, space defense and avionics, all went through engineers. 
So I started doing marketing for them. So yeah. I took their list. I built them every month, a new web page. I did a new email send for them to be able to generate leads and revenue for their specific businesses. So I had all these, like I had five different businesses that I was essentially running. After that, I went to go to work for Marketing Sherpa and Marketing Sherpa, because I'd, I spoke in a number of their B2B conferences about some of the things that we did with chip scale atomic clocks, that sort of thing. Yeah. And when I went to work for them, I was generating demand for their email certification. So we ran the largest email conference. Um, that was cool. And then after that, that's when I went to HubSpot. And when I went to HubSpot, I was like, wow, look at this. All the, oh, we've got blogs in here. You've got prospecting. You have email in here. You have all of these fantastic tools all in HubSpot. Wow, I don't have to glue together all these right. different point solutions in order to make something. So the HubSpot advent, yes, I was spending money, but we were also doing a lot with blogs, the community, the community of it, of and in itself. I was roughly the hundredth employee or something there. But we did such a good job with creating passion, passion for the concept of inbound marketing, the passion for getting found that our community far exceeded any, any potential for any customers that were going right. to join. But boy, did they like to share the content. So we had content, we were educating the community, we're doing all these awesome things. So that's kind of how it got started, John. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's interesting because you mentioned two things that have always fascinated me about HubSpot. One is the passion inside the company, which I think you see uh, with, with some other marketing companies like Drift is an example. I think they they did a really good job early on, especially of hiring people who were really passionate about marketing yep. predictive index is another yep. local company that i think has that like swagger yeah, internally yeah. but how did you look for those types of people who were going to be brand ambassadors like through and through inside and outside of the company well i i think that one thing that happens john is that um one of the biggest things in hubspot and and something that i feel strongly about is when you're interviewing somebody and it's the concept of how many times do they reference we versus me. And, yeah. and it's, it, you wanna make sure that you have people that are humble, that they, they understand that they're part of something bigger and then they're growing. It, it's part of the growth mindset, right? Yeah. Can we scale this? You can't scale it on the back of an individual. You have to scale it on the back of a team and every single person that you add to the team needs to be able, it's got to be accretive. And, yeah. and at times when you're growing a team, like most recently, I've been growing a team and it's been challenging because as we grow new people, we're figuring out new workflows, new processes, and these people have to be brought up to speed, but that drags the entire team back. So instead of being accretive from day one, it, it's a little bit of a decrease in terms of productivity, yeah. but if you don't expect it and you don't plan for it, you get very discouraged. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And so I think getting back to your point, it's finding the people that are humble, right? And kind to one another as individuals showing a degree of respect that it's all well and good to be an ambassador. That's terrific. But also don't forget you have a day job, yeah. <laughs> you know, that we've got to, we've got to get some results. Yeah. And we're, we're what, how did, um, how did HubSpot distribute the Gatorade internally? The 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 what is it? The the Kool Aid internally <laughs> to like teach people the talking or like get people. I always felt like HubSpot, whether it was at an event or somebody who I just randomly met when I was over at a friend's house or whatever, like they understood how to talk about the company, and so that was in the DNA inside and out. And that's a place that I think a lot of companies really miss. They don't even teach their SDRs who are having 50 to 100 conversations a day, how to talk about the company. But HubSpot's one of those companies where everybody from the CEO to uh, you know, the latest employee was able to speak really articulately about the company. Well, I, I have to say that it started at the top uh, with Brian Halligan and Darmesh Shah. 
uh, Dharmesh is really the keeper of the culture. And for a person that doesn't like to manage anybody and really doesn't like to interact with people that much, he knew how important it was to be able to keep people, um, com uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but to keep people uh, so that they understood the organization. So heavy, heavy, heavy use of a wiki internally, heavy use of the wiki where conversations would take place on the wiki okay. between engineering and product and marketing and sales. And so that you were always being heard in some respect. Okay. And so the wiki itself just kind of was nuts. I mean, you could go down that rabbit hole and not come out for weeks if you really want. No, seriously, yeah. you know, huge discussions on why is everybody an inbound marketing consultant or an inbound marketer, you know, the, the title thing, like we don't need titles. And some people say we do need titles and, you know, but it would go on and on and on and on, but everybody was being heard. And again, it was the kindness that was being shown to each other. Like, okay, I disagree with you, John. And let me tell you the reasons why I disagree with you. And then that's that transparency, that yeah. public consumption. I will also tell you that we were responsible. I was responsible for a weekly marketing meeting on Thursdays at 4.30. And on Thursdays at 4.30, usually at Thursdays at 4.28, I was still trying to get slides from other team members that we were going to be showing at the Thursdays at 4.30. Yeah. And so the marketing meeting was sales and marketing. All the salespeople would come in. They'd grab a beer out of one of the coolers. Um, there'd be music playing. And we'd kick it off. We'd talk about people that hit their quota. We'd talk about what was going on in the marketing world, what was blah, blah, you know, just a lot of stuff. Rah, 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 rah. So you're doing that weekly, right? Yeah. And that rah, rah is really strong to do weekly, not a single sales kickoff in January like many companies do, right? right? So it was a weekly rah, rah. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. In addition, there was a lot of communication. There were a lot of, you know, here we are in coming into year three of COVID, yet you forget how important it is to really see people face to face. Yeah. So at HubSpot, as an example, all the marketing people did not sit together in one room. You know, I sat behind a number. I sat behind Bonnie Lieberman. I sat next to Dan Tyre. I sat next to Brian Rogers. I sat next to these people that you're having conversations with. John Marcus, I always talk about John Marcus because whenever he was on the phone call, he'd be standing up. Now, mind you, we had open tables. You yeah. had this like little 18 inch blinder thing that you could yeah. put stuff on a bulletin board and he'd be standing up yelling at the top of his lungs, selling somebody. And I'd be sitting there going, you know, and so you did wear earphones just so that you could focus and you could concentrate a little bit, but man, oh man. Or I, and then at that point I go, you know, John, if I were on the other side of that call, <laughs> I'd probably hang up on you. So, <laughs> so let's have a conversation about that. So the integration of different people within the company, listening to each other. And the other thing that happened at HubSpot is we would move, physically move our desks and who we were sitting next to every three months. Okay. So you had a little rolling file cabinet and it yeah. would be like, we're moving. And so here's the new sitting arrangement and you take your stuff and you'd roll it over to wherever your new desk was. And you just sat there for the next three months. I loved it. Yeah. I, I thought that was great because you got to know, I got to know Jen Steele. Right. Because she sat, she and I sat back to back for, you know, three months and you get to hear people and you bump into each other. And it's just a it's it was a wonderful way to constantly be changing and evolving yeah. and growing and scaling. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. One of the things I'm worried about with the move to remote is um, you have Gong, you have course, you have all those tools, but not being able to just like kind of passively hear the sales oh, conversations to be totally. need to need to seek it out. Yeah. There's, there's a gap. And I think marketing and sales have made so much improvement to alignment, uh, over the last couple of yeah. years. I haven't heard of many marketers who are upset with the head of sales like I used to five years ago, probably. <laughs> uh, when I was at Logman, we were across the hallway from the sales team. So that was seven, 
maybe 10 years ago that I was at Logmein. And obviously a lot's changed um, that you just wouldn't see that anymore when you're in person. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. What were the keys for you when you were starting out with companies to build alignment with the sales team? Well, first of all, <clears throat> as a marketing leader, I feel that sales is a channel, right? Sales is you can have direct, you can have indirect, you can have e-commerce, you can have partnerships, you can have alliances, and they're all different motions, right? They're different yeah. marketing motions and they're different sales motions, but I've always felt that they're motions, right? And they're yeah. campaigns that require support from who? Oh, marketing. So they should be part of the marketing organization. So I know that's a little radical, but I have found that being head of global sales and marketing for organizations has, has done well for me, okay? So when I've gone to a company specifically as a CMO, right? If I've been talking to somebody because there's, there's was kind of a push for CMO-ish type roles a while ago. Yeah. It, it, even before I went to HubSpot, you know, I had come from an organization where I felt like I had tire treads on my back and I vowed I was never going to work for a company again ever for the rest of yeah. my life. It's all me all the time. I'm going to do it by myself. Yeah. And um, when uh, Mike Volpe, uh, you know, said, do you want to come to work here? I'm like, can I talk to the head of sales who was Mark Roberge? Yeah. Right. So, because I wanted to know, am I going to get more tire treads on my back or, or, you know, is there going to be a bullet in my forehead or something? So Mark Roberge is an engineer. He's educated as an engineer. And so we sat down and he had the conversation and he went through the funnel with me saying, you know, a thousand leads convert at this percentage, convert at that percentage. And this is how many we're looking at. And I'm like, okay, math. Thankfully, this is math. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's quantifiable and you're not going down the emotional rat hole, right? right? Yeah. That we agree that if you get this number of leads, that you should be able to perform at that level. Is that right. accurate? So once I met with Mark, and I've also taken this into other roles, and I've turned down roles where they wanted me to come in as a marketing leader. And you talk to the head of sales and they hate marketing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to start from a deficit. Right. You know, it, it's like, I can't, I can't fly uphill with somebody that's already, you know, like busy shoving me down because marketing stinks, right? Yeah. In their mind, in their minds, right? Right. It's fluffy. So it's, it's, well, not even just fluffy. It's um, a lot of times marketing organizations, they don't have a number. Right. right. They, they, they're not tied to a number. And I having carried a bag, having carried a quota, having made president's club myself and knowing how hard sales is, I think every marketing person, if they want to be successful with sales self, yeah, do it for six months, see how yeah. freaking hard it is. Yeah. And, and then try to hit quota, try to make a number. And I think if marketing people are aligned with sales, they're aligned on the revenue number. They're aligned on what the operations components are. Yeah. What do you need in order to be successful? And let's work backwards from there. Let's make it math. Let's yeah. not make it opinion. Right. And, and I think therein, I think for many salespeople, they have a number. They have a number that they have to hit every single day, right? right. It, it's the number of calls. It's the number of opportunities. It's the number... And you and I both know good salespeople. I know good salespeople because they follow up. Okay, it's not a good deal right now, but it's going to be a good deal down the road and, yeah. and, 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 or an opportunity for us, but to keep the follow-up. Unfortunately, many salespeople haven't learned the art of following up, following up, following yeah. up. Um, and so I've got one guy right now that's been following, great guy, Justin. He's doing a really good job. He, he, when he sends me emails, it's not the, I hope you're doing well thing. It's like <laughs> my CEO and I were having a conversation and I'm wondering where you fit into my pipeline yeah. and is this, and, and I, I respect that. And it's like, well, I, I can't do it in, and I couldn't do it in Q4 in Q1. I, I just don't have somebody that can own this part of the tech stack. So don't look at it for Q1, but I respect the fact that he's asking me, like, yeah. where are you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, you learned so much. Like I've never learned as much about marketing 
as I have in the last four years since starting compound growth marketing <laughs> because I'm in sales. Right. So like I, I always would listen in on sales calls to kind of hear how people heard about you. Right. I don't think it ever really clicked how, how critical those conversations were. I'd take it for inspiration. I'd come up with content topics. But when I was at CGM, I started to see how there was like an emotional response to some of the content that I created on LinkedIn. So you get it at both sides, I think. I sure. think there, there's, um, yeah, you get it at both sides where there's the analytical piece at the bottom, but you can all, working in sales, getting empathy for the sales team, you can also understand all the things that happen up at the very tippy top of the funnel mm -hmm. that start to drive those people in. Yeah. Uh, that can also be incredibly beneficial yeah. and, and yeah. even help you start to uh, put an ROI number next to some of those really difficult to attribute events. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's all fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so talk to me, what, uh, talk to me a little bit about how you would establish those goals with like a, a Mark Roberge of what types of leads you'd pass to the sales team, <laughs> what their follow-up cadence would be like. Um, and, and basically setting up your SLA with the organization. Great question. Good multi-question, uh, multi, multi questions in there. Let me give you multi yeah. answers. So, okay. uh, so at the time, you know, HubSpot, and I think this is a great plan and we've been doing this at one screen is you hire people into classes. And so at the beginning of every month. So we had a fantastic training guy, Andrew Quinn, absolutely amazing training okay. person. He is, you got to interview him. He's just amazing. Okay. And, and, and he, um, beginning of the class. So I would get a note. They'd be in, always interviewing, always interviewing, always interviewing. And then I would find out like how many people were going to be starting at the beginning of the month. So it's the end of the month before, right? And then I'd get a note from Mark saying, okay, we got four people starting in two days, Gene. And yeah. so I knew that I, and so I had a heuristic that I had built a spreadsheet that I knew how many salespeople I had. I knew how many uh, new leads that I had to create. Now, net new leads could be anything. It could be a Pinterest ebook, it could be a webinar, it could be any number of things. Not everything is get a demo. Not yeah. everything is here's the trial. You know, there was a lot of content and if you talk to Dan Tyre, right, he's the king of marketing. And his whole thing was no lead shall go untouched. And he would take these green salespeople and say, I don't care if you don't like the lead, okay? You have to follow up eight times, eight times. Yeah. Four telephone calls, four emails. I don't care how you do it, but you got to do it. And one thing that I did is by working with our Salesforce administrator, our ops person, is initially every salesperson at HubSpot had the lead for 90 days. Well, that's ridiculous, right? So I cut that down to 30 days, cut it down to a week, and then I cut it down to two days. Yeah. You snooze, you lose, right? So if it's a good lead, right? If you haven't touched it, so a good lead, so you got your, you know, prime rib leads, which are, yeah. you know, the gold standard of a lead. And then you have a lot of like candy leads, like the, the ebook leads. Um, somebody that attends a demo, oh, that's a pretty good lead. That's like a good baked potato lead that goes with yeah. your prime rib, right? Yeah. So you, you're trying to make sure that they're all, all the salespeople are being treated fairly. New people, they had, they had Dan Tire <laughs> on their back. So they would get 200 leads um, every month, right? So they would be going through those leads as training leads in the beginning of their, and, and, and you would be able to figure out, could they touch them? Could they work them? Now you have to understand that for every 100 resumes that were submitted to HubSpot, possibly one, but I'm going to say for every 300 resumes submitted to HubSpot, one person would get an interview. And out of every 10 people that got an interview, one person would get hired. However, the pace, it was so tough at, at HubSpot and the expectations so high in terms of being able to deliver results that a salesperson that started, started like month one had a 10% chance of being there in month eight. So you had a three month ramp 
and you you know the expectations and and it, these results you're looking at salesforce constantly who's working the leads who's not working the leads what what's happening what what kind of conversations are they having and it was always training 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 to as you know so you're internalizing the the orange Kool-Aid if you will to be able to make sure that people understood what it was that we were selling well everybody comes at it differently right yeah. some people would come at it like you you want a blog some people would con, con, come at it like you need the SEO component somebody would come at it from a different way and your script became your script and some people didn't want certain leads so they'd look at the lead and they say I don't want to deal with lawyers because I know they're going to churn, you know, you, you, I don't need to deal with lawyers. So they would send the lead back into the system. But the idea was at the key point, at the height, we were generating 50,000 net new leads per month, 50,000. And then the number of reconverts was two to three X that. So people were coming back and filling out that 11 field form again and again. Okay. Were you pat so were you passing a hundred percent of those leads or was there any qualification before it got passed to the sales team? Well, I did have a hub scrub team and we didn't touch people that said uh, that they were uh, solopreneurs one and under. So two to fives went to Dan Tyre's team, six to 25s went to Brian Thorns and Heidi Carlson's team and other ones. So our sweet spot where people were in the six to 25 employees at the company. And so usually it was a marketing person that couldn't hire somebody, but you could buy HubSpot and it would be like hiring another marketing person at a very inexpensive way of being able to do the business and run your marketing programs on HubSpot. Okay, interesting, really interesting. And so there also, there was no specialization on the, the sales team. So they were oh, reaching size. The demo, size. Or, I mean, by size, but there wasn't by uh, lead offer. So it wasn't like, this is the ebook team. This is the chat. No, team. no, it wasn't. It wasn't at that. They knew what the lead source was. They knew where they came from. The, the lead would get rotated to them and yeah. they would know where the lead source came from. And, and so I did on a weekly basis, I would send out a, we're doing this particular campaign with this organization. This is a new ebook. You should download us and read it, top yeah. line it so you know what's going on. This is the upcoming webinars that we have. This is what we did. And I would actually build out email templates in Salesforce for them to do responses to the leads. I mean, marketing had to help sales. Yeah. Marketing's responsibility was to help them hit their number. Yeah, awesome. So side note, you said something earlier, lead comes in, they don't respond to it for two days, it gets kicked back into the system. And I've always thought like a really robust lead, uh, like round robin lead system would be interesting. There was one that did lead scoring really, really well a couple of years ago, I forget what the name of the company was. Um, but they would qualify the leads and then pass it to a rep. I've always thought it would be interesting one to have a point system with reps where they'd get a bonus. And if they kick the lead back that ended up converting, there would be some type of penalty or maybe <laughs> put a, a positive light on it somehow. But yeah. I've always thought that would be interesting because you have reps who are like, this is not a good lead. And you're right, like, right. I don't get why you don't think that's a good lead. Like call them up, see what happens. But then I, I also think that a lead system that would start to understand what reps sold really well to certain characteristics. Like, I think sometimes humans are a little slow to pick up that so-and-so is really good at telling the story and speaking to lawyers versus someone else, so. I think they do internally because one of the things that Mark Roberge did well is salespeople as they continue to grow in the, uh, the organization, you know, you came in as a, you know, sales rep associate and then you got moved up and yeah. one of the criteria was what was the churn yeah. of the accounts that you sold. So the thing, the hardest thing for many people is not everybody's a good fit for your product. Right. And so you don't need to sell to everybody in an effort to be able to make your number because those customers are going to churn and that's not good for your business at all. Yeah. And I think that became more and more of an issue for, uh, for some salespeople that they, 
they had to deal with the churn aspect. But the other thing is Pete Caputa, who is now the CEO of Databox, he was responsible on nights and weekends project with starting the VAR program yeah. at HubSpot. So a lot of those solopreneurs were what? They were agencies. Yeah. There are people like yourself, John, that started out their own company, their own agency, and by reselling HubSpot to their customer base and providing content and everything for their customers, they were able to have a really successful business. And now the VAR channel actually accounts for 50% of revenue. Yeah, that's incredible. It's one yeah. of two, comp well, I don't think, I've heard it's one of two uh, companies with over a hundred million dollar VAR, one or two SaaS companies with over a uh, $100 million VAR program. I heard that years ago when HubSpot yeah, was around bigger. 200 million. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that that's really interesting and, and hats off to Pete and, and the HubSpot team for kind of realizing how big of a role agents. Well, he had an uphill battle. I just want to know internally, it was definitely yeah. a nights and weekends project for him, which yeah. was rewarded, which was rewarded ultimately because, but it did take, it was a grind for him. Um, but we were able to help him because the leads were there and the HubSpot scrub team actually validated the leads if they were an agency and rotated them to him. And he started building out a sales organization okay. to be able to support that. And so did sales ever push back on the quality of leads coming in? I mean, you oh, have- Of course. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the nature of the beast. I, I remember years ago when I saw Pinterest becoming a thing, right? And wrote an ebook for Pinterest. And a lot of the sales team at HubSpot is male, right? A lot of the audience for Pinterest is female. Yeah. And so it was, there was definitely a WTF uh, 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 pushback. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what is this and why should I care? And it's like, well, if people are trying to figure out how to use Pinterest for business, we have that opportunity to be able to help them do that. And so I think that being able to manage sales, I earned a lot of respect internally from the sales organization because I had no problem saying I made a mistake. I yeah. had no problem with a mea culpa. I had no problem falling on a sword and, and I was more than willing to be able to do it. But the other thing that I did that helped the sales organization is they knew because we're on one month, it's like a one month sprint, right? I hit the gas on day one and I didn't dump things into their funnel on day 30 or 31 or 28 or whatever day of the month that you want to look at. It was my goal was to, I was prepared to do it the next month and the next month and the next month. And I took into account the calendaring. A lot of marketers don't look at the calendaring of what the things that you're supposed to be looking at. You could be looking at things globally. You could be looking at things in North America and taking into account holidays, taking into account shutdowns, taking into account a lot of things and being able to calendar it out. So you're not midway through Q4 which is essentially 10 weeks long. It's not 13 weeks long, it's yeah. 10 weeks long. And yeah. trying to help hit your number. If you're not hitting the gas on October 1, by the time 1231 comes around, you're gonna be sucking eggs and it's not yeah. gonna be pretty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I would always say like, that's been my weakness as a marketer is game management or keeping my eye on the clock in, in basketball. But I always did these uh, recurring channels, right? I was like mm. SEO. So I wasn't tied to that program calendar or paid acquisition. So I wasn't always tied to that program calendar. I always thought about it as repetitive, but it got me in trouble a fair amount of times. Yeah. Like what's going on, right? Yeah. I mean, where are your leads, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then did you guys have like a written SLA with the, the sales organization? Um, yes. So yes. you were responsible for a vol certain volume of leads at a certain quality. They were responsible for following up within a certain period of time and a certain amount of times. Yep. Yep. It was a constant conversation that we the conversation was always amicable. I mean, it was never, um, it was like, look, this is what I can do. Uh, I will try to do more, always looking for new channels, new acquisition channels, always testing new acquisition channels, but also making them aware that if I'm testing something new, I don't know the quality. 
right? And and it's okay. Go, I I'm fine. Go ahead, yell at me. You know, I've yeah. got a skin like a rhinoceros because you know. It, do you think you're the first person to ever yell at me about right. the quality of the leads? Yeah. You know, and you need one to in that role. Well, it, the other thing the is, is yeah. It, well, it's not personal, and and they're trying to make their number. But on right. the other hand, I'm trying to make their number so that they can make their number. And they right. saw that. They saw the intent. And, and the assumption was we're doing as well as we can. And, and I always had such great relationships with the CFOs. And if I needed more money, um, I could go and say, okay, I'm going to come up short a thousand leads and I need, you know, another, you know, 25 grand at $25 a lead. And it would either get approved or not approved. And I would go out and try to find yet another channel, you know, to, and so I was always like doing deals with affiliates, doing deals with different publications that were new and they were trying to, um, you know, feed their machine. And, yeah. but I was always looking for new ways to be able to help grow this business. Yeah. Interesting. And then we've talked a lot about HubSpot. But, <laughs> so I, HubSpot was, I think around like a $10,000 ACV at the time you were selling it, right? It was yeah, it's anywhere from three to 10. <clears throat> they didn't 10. have, they didn't have the Y access for the number of contents uh -huh. contacts. That was something Brad coffee. Uh, was figuring out because the contacts were just a huge drain on resources. So yeah. how many people are you emailing? How many are you using in the CRM? So it was really a month to month platform fee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I've always looked at the price, like when people come to me and there's, they say, John, I'm looking for a job or John, I'm looking for a new marketer. Mm -hmm. I always send them to this article by Christoph Jans, a European investor, five ways to build a hundred million dollar company and it goes through products that sell for a dollar a year a thousand dollars a year ten thousand hundred thousand a million dollars a year and you've been on different points of that <laughs> yes so i have <laughs> how like did your relationship with the uh sales team change at all when you were at hubspot versus smart bear and ipswich and now one screen ai um not really i mean the relationship is um is predicated on understanding their goals and their focus that it doesn't matter if it's a million dollars or it's a dollar, it's still math, right? Yeah. You still have to figure out how to be able to get them what they need in order to achieve the revenue goals for the company and the profitability goals. A lot of times organizations don't really realize that revenue, you know, you could sell things for a lot of money, but you're not going to make a dollar. <laughs> yeah. right? So I like to be part of the annual operating plan. My undergraduate degree is in accounting and finance, which is very weird uh, for a marketing person, but you know what? It's held me in good stead. My MBA is in international marketing. Um, because I was working for Lego Systems at the time, and it's okay. a toy toy company, right? Yeah. So it's uh, but toys to marketing automation software, or <laughs> toys to heavy IT software to marketing automation to <laughs> IT again. But it's all. But the thing is, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. I like premium price products. I don't like selling things. I don't like discounting. I don't like salespeople that are forced into discounting in order to move the product. If they are forced into do it, that means your value prop is not there. Yeah. I'd rather pay more and know that it's going to work and, and be able to communicate that effectively. So it's a holding, holding the price to me is very, very important. And being able to communicate the value in exchange for the price is even more important. Did your channel mix at all? Did your channel mix change with any of those companies? Oh yeah, totally. Because every company, you know, I've worked for companies that were 100% channel, right? Uh, or even at Ipswich, as an example, all of its international operations were channel. Even the domestic operations in the United States, half of the domestic revenue was channel. Okay. And then the other half of it was direct. And one of the biggest issues was, you know, on the customer success side, you had all these, and a lot of their software was on-prem. So yeah. the on-prem stuff didn't get updated. So they could be running on stuff that was 10, 12 years old and they're, they have no need to upgrade. No, I, how many IT people are like, oh, I need a new dashboard. So I'm yeah. gonna upgrade. Nobody does that. 
So if they bought the software, they don't say they're paying maintenance, they're, they're fine with it. Right. And, but how do you get them to move? And this is where the product and marketing disconnect would happen. Product would go off and have this engineering, you know, mind blowing thing. We're going to go do this. And it'd be like, well, have you talked to the customer? Have you talked to the end user? And you know what? They don't care. (laughs) You know, so it, it working with the channel and trying to make sure that price increases. So I, I remember um, having doing a big launch and we had three new products and I combined all three of them into this big a launch that we were doing in London in June, right? So June was like, I, I don't like doing launches in July or August, right? Yeah. So it was June 6th at Info Security Show in London. And I remember being there on Friday night. So the show's opening on the Monday, but, you know, we have this big booth set up a 20 by 20, you know, hard booth, you know, the whole drill and finding out that the the head of product decided that he wasn't ready to launch. Now we have trained the channel right? globally. globally. We have changed the price globally. We have demos. We have all this stuff ready to go for our big movie premiere launch. And you call me on Friday at 8 p.m. Yeah, because no, it's 9 p.m. 9 p.m. London time, right? Because you're having a four o'clock in the meeting and you're concerned about launching this product. Really? You didn't yeah. like have any indication of it. So prior to this? Yeah. Well, thank Fine. you. Let me, yeah. see, let me see how I can unwind this wedding. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, I, I, you know, you felt like you were being left at the altar. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And no appreciation for the amount of work in order to do this successfully. And then having to unwind it, go to the show, explain to the salespeople at the show and the channel partners that, no, you know what? He decided that he wanted to wait at least a month. Yeah. And it's like, you don't launch stuff in July. You just don't. Yeah. Right. So anyway, so. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's easy. It's easier to work with sales and sometimes them to work with product. <laughs> yeah. 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 That can definitely be the case. Um, so I'm really interested to hear you're at smart bear, you're at Ipswich, you're at one screen AI, uh, HubSpot too. your experience with kind of the first 90 days and setting the tone with the sales team, setting the tone with the C with the C-suite. Uh, to get bought in on marketing, because there is a bad reputation uh, for marketing sometimes. And I think you gave us one uh, life hack, maybe hashtag life hack is uh, (laughs) only, you know, don't, don't start with a sales or CEO who is not bought in at least a little bit on marketing. But how were you approaching the first 90 days? What were you thinking about? Well, overall, I I have a couple of life hacks, if you want to call them, John, um, is uh, the very first thing I like to look at before I join any organization or in the weeks prior to my moving over to a new organization is I want to look at the budget. I want to look at what we have to work with. Okay. What, what are the expectations? What's the spend? What is the spend percentage of the revenue that is expected from the organization? Where are our profits coming from? And as part of that exercise, I want to also know when was the last time we had a price increase and, and how was that decided upon? Was it a pull it out of your butt kind of a thing or was it an analysis of the value adds of the product and it's evolved to such a degree? And, and what can we do to increase profitability so that we can increase spend in a specific area? I also want to see where the revenue is coming from. I want to know, is it coming from channel? Is it coming from direct? What about indirect? What about e-commerce? Where's the revenue coming from? So the budget is very, very important to me. The second thing, and it's a, it's a subset of the budget, is I want to see the complete tech stack. I want to know what we're spending money on. I want to know who owns it. I want to know what the, <laughs> the password is for that particular account. And I usually assign a team member to kind of help figure it out. Because you know what? Every company that I've joined, nobody has a record of that. You know, IT owns this, product owns that, so-and-so owns that. But there's always a lot of leakage in a budget, particularly for a company that has been around for a little bit. 
right? Yeah. They're using user voice and they're using user interview and they're right. using they're using drift and they're using gong and they're using chorus and they're you know blah blah yeah. blah. And you try to figure out like when Me did too. these contracts end? Yeah. <laughs> and who owns them and how are we paying for them? Because right. it's also remarkable the amount of leakage that occurs with with organizations just sending invoices and they're getting paid. And yeah. there's a, a remarkable amount of auto renews. So one one thing, there's a great company that was started by um, a former HubSpotter. It's called Vendor. Um, I use them at Squad Locker because they were trying to, having them be able to go through and figure out what is our tech stack. Yeah. And we cannot believe the number of things that were not being used. Here's a 25-year-old company that has been paying things on some credit card or it's sending an invoice in and just getting paid and nobody is signing off on it. You know, the accounts yeah. payable person is just paying for them. So second thing is the budget, budget tech stack. Third thing is the database. What does your database look like? What is it in terms of recency? How has it grown? What kind of followers do you have on social media? How big is your community? And what kind of expectation can we have from the organizational leadership in an effort to be able to um, uh, amplify the messaging that you have. So that to me is a critical component because it's all tied to content, social, sharing, what kind of community do you have? Who's leading the community? How are we responding to things? Gets a little bit into customer success, gets into tech support, gets into a, a bunch of different issues, but trying to have a much better understanding of the scale and scope of that. And the fourth thing is the team, right? Are the team members, are they, who am I inheriting? Uh, who wants to be there? Who doesn't want to be there? What, what are their superpowers? I always like to do a strengths finder exercise with the individual team members because you can find people that are not in the right role. You know, yeah. they, they should be doing something entirely differently. They know it, but nobody else has tried to manage them out of that. So being able to meet with the team, being able to lead with the team. And really the first 90 days are more of a listening tour, you know, just trying to learn and understand and grok and be in, as part of as many meetings just to listen, to understand the undercurrents of what's happening. And then <clears throat> one thing I like to do is um, that's, that's worked out well is within the first 90 days is to start a voice of the customer meeting. Okay. That is owned by. So you have all your customer facing team members, three reasons we win, three reasons we lose. And you have the product team listening to the three reasons we win and the three reasons we lose and being able to support that with some form of data, have a dashboard of some sort. And that yeah. to me is a great foundational element for being able to communicate effectively throughout the organization. And if your head of sales and marketing owns that, that makes you an equal partner with product and engineering. Awesome. Yeah. And so just one last question. Um, <laughs> how, how do you get those? Is it, is it a hundred percent data? How are you learning about the customer in the first 90 days? Are you paying attention mostly to the dashboard? Do you see, are you sitting in on sales calls? Are you talking to the sales team? Where are you getting that intelligence from? Well, it's one-on-one. -on -one. <clears throat> it's uh, listening to gong calls. It's being part of sales processes, listening to that, onboarding, customer renewals, being able to look at the data, who's renewing, who's not re renewing, why are they not renewing. And successfully, in some organizations, uh, in the Slack channel, we have what is called the Ding channel. And Ding is, it's HubSpot speak for every time that a deal came through, who was the customer? Why did they, how did they find us? Lead source, all that kind of stuff, size of the deal. So that yeah. you could see, you could, and this was good reactionary information for the marketing team to be able to say, hey, the Pinterest ebook did actually contribute to quite yeah. a bit of sales. <laughs> you know, so how do you, how do you keep that uh, feedback loop going? And, yeah. and so at one screen, we have a ding channel. And we get to see who's booking the business, get to see the same sort of things and be able, you know, most importantly, John, we all need to celebrate. Yeah. We need to celebrate successes on a regular basis. And when you have a ding channel, 
That's a great way to celebrate sales. It's yeah. a great way to say this deal started in July. Yeah. And it's closing in February. <laughs> yeah. You know? To be able to understand that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I apologize. One last question. <laughs> Strength finder. Yes. I think, I think just be based on the fact that it's one of the things that you're doing in the first 90 days. And you said that people aren't being heard. People might not necessarily be in the right seats. I think this is something that marketing especially struggles with, but we also see it across a across entire organizations. What's your process for thinking about that? Well, there's different, there's free tools and strengths finder. There, there is a a strengths finder tool. I mean, I think we've all taken the uh, Myers Briggs where I'm an ENTJ. We've all taken the disc. I'm a high I high D, you know, I know, I know where my weaknesses are. I know, I know what I'm good at. And I'm guess I, kind of know what I'm not so good at. And that's yeah. why I surround myself with people that are much better at the things that I'm not good at. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, you, there's a lot of tools out there that people have an opportunity to be able to reflect, you know, uh, some people are strategic, some people are tactical. You don't put a tactical person in a strategic role because what are they going to focus on? Right. But if they have that self-awareness that, you know, we, <laughs> I, I liken this to, I had one of my uh, guys, uh, uh, David Kang, that was on, is on the one screen team. And he said, can you help me improve my weaknesses? I said, why would I do that? I, you know, let's talk about your strengths. Let's yeah. improve your strengths. You know, you improve your weaknesses. You're going to improve them by what, 10%. But if I improve your strengths by 50%, what a superpower you become. Yeah. It's just that, are you in the right seat on the bus? Right. And, and he had never thought, cause we're always trying to make ourselves better. I More need to do that. Yeah. Coulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda, you know, w- what is my strength? My personal strength is I get stuff done. GSD, yeah. right. You know, what's my biggest weakness? I'm impatient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a flip side of the same coin is that I can start a lot of stuff, but I need to make sure again, who's managing it. Who's who who is in charge here? Yeah. So those are some of the things that <clears throat> I guess my number one strength usually comes across as being strategic. And the second one is being an optimist. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely a glass full, uh, half full kind of a person. So yeah. and I like to work with people like that, too. Cool. So it, it's more kind of what personality and professional skills rather than specific to what they execute on on the team it's exactly and that helps you figure out which it helps me figure out where people should go yeah a, a, a team building is like a sudoku game you know yeah. you got to have it all add up but i also like to move people yeah because i want people to be able to be more than a, a one-trick pony i don't want you to be a square peg in a square hole i want you to be t-shaped yeah. i want you to have experience in a wide variety of areas because then you're going to be able to inform other things that are going on. If I send you to a pragmatic marketing course, I want you to do a lunch and learn and tell people what you learned because it'll reinforce what you learned if you have to explain it to somebody else. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time today. (laughs) Thank you, John. Um, And we'll, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you so much.